0: Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content of the all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and on today's episode, I'm going to start by talking about a big trade that went down in the NBA this week, and that is the Toronto Raptors trading Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers. We've heard of... Pascal Siakam training rumors for a long time. A deal has finally been made. I want to talk about that. After that, we're going to talk about a huge debate that went down on social media yesterday. So yesterday, J.J. Uh, Watt, former elite edge racer in the NFL, he was on the Pat McAfee show. And he started talking about PFF grades because PFF had released a graphic showing their grades of, the, of some of the best performing quarterbacks in the wildcard round. Their grades for C.J. Stroud and Jordan Love were very different, despite both players having similar stats. J.J. Watt was very critical, so I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the grades themselves, how they're calculated or how, how PFF comes up with them, and I want to talk about the reaction that people had to this debate and some of the misconceptions that people have for PFF grades. After that, I want to preview the upcoming NFL games that we have coming up this weekend this weekend is the divisional round so i want to preview all all of the games that we have coming up i'm not going to get too in depth here with the analysis but i do want to talk about that a little bit and that's pretty much all we have for today's episode i hope you're excited i know i am and let's go ahead and dive right in Alright, let's go ahead and get started. Before I get into the Pascal Siakam trade, that's the first thing I want to talk about. Before I get into that, I want to give, um I, I wanted to talk about the Warriors assistant coach, Dayan Milojevic, um, who passed away this week. Uh, very sad situation. He passed away suddenly. It was, uh, it's a really tragic situation, the Warriors. They had a game canceled. Um, they also have a game coming up that's been postponed. I want to... Uh, just give my prayers to him and his family and the whole warriors organization. This is just a brutal situation. Terrible. It's, it's tough to lose, to lose people you're close to. Um, and I know that it's, it's probably been a a very tough week for not only his family, but also, uh, the team and everyone involved in that organization. So I just wanted to mention that real quick before we get into any content here. So yeah, very sad situation going on, um, with Golden State, but hopefully everyone's able to find peace, um, and, and able to, uh, find joy during this tough time. I, I know it'll be very difficult. Uh, but first off for today's podcast, uh, I, wa- I wanted to talk about the Pascal Siakam trade that went down yesterday. I'm recording this on Thursday. Um, this trade went down. Um, big move. Huge trade. Um, we've heard some some rumors that the Raptors might be interested in, in trading Pascal Siakam for a while now. A trade finally went down yesterday, and I'm going to go through all the details and talk about what this means for each team involved. So let's go. I got a CBS Sports article put up here with all the details. So this trade involved the Pacers, the Raptors, and the Pelicans. Um, So, the Pacers received Pascal Siakam and a 2024 second-round pick. That second-round pick is from the Pelicans. The Raptors received Bruce Brown, Jordan uh, Nowora, Kyrie Lewis Jr., a 2024 first round pick from the Pacers, and a 2024 first round pick, which is a, the lesser of picks from the Jazz, Clippers, Rockets, and Thunder, and then they received a 2026 first round pick, also from the Pacers, and that is protected pick number one through pick number four, Um, and then the Pelicans, they received cash considerations. So very interesting trade. I know some of the uh some of the protections and, and, and with the picks and stuff was kind of confusing, but those are the details of the trade. I want to start off uh with what this trade means for the Raptors. I like this trade. I think um, it's very clear that at some point the Pacers were gonna have to go like all in with this team that they have. Led by their star point guard, Tyrese Halliburton. I've actually, I've actually talked about the Pacers on the podcast, uh, this year, talking about the Pacers, Pacers, how good they've been, how good Tyrese Halliburton has been. I've been really impressed by them. Um, and so at some point, you knew that the team, they were going to have to go to like invest in this team and try to win. And this is the win now move. And, you know, three first round picks is a lot. That's a lot. But the 2024 draft, this upcoming draft, is not great. It it is weak, um, or that's like the consensus opinion. The consensus opinion is that this is a weaker draft. So giving up some draft capital in this draft may not be that big of a deal. Maybe it'll be a bigger deal giving up a 2026 first round pick. But, um, and there's no telling what'll happen with all the prospects in this year's draft. They could be great. But for now, the thought is that it does look like a a weaker draft class than we're used to. So that does make it a little bit easier to give up um, two, two first round picks in this draft um and then you got the 2026 first round pick so it it is a pretty significant um investment in terms of draft capital of course they're also giving up bruce brown we'll see where bruce brown goes it sounds like the raptors may end up trading him as well um he may end up getting traded to a contender or, or a playoff caliber team um but yeah i like what what the um the Pacers did in this deal. They also got a, a second round pick this year from the Pelicans, but I like this move and it's a win now move. I think Pascal Siakam will be great there. I think the two, the two man game with him and Tyrese Halliburton will be really good. I think this makes their offense better. Um, and now they've got a pretty nice quad there in Indiana, a nice team there, nice roster. They've been really good this year. This trade makes them better. Um, and we'll see how, how this trade impacts their offense um if it makes their offense even better which would kind of be difficult I mean their offense is already insanely good um but we'll see how this impacts their offense and how it impacts their defense because as a team their defense is not very good and that is definitely their biggest weakness as a team but yeah I'm excited to see Pascal Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton play together and we'll see how all of that works out for the Raptors I like this trade for them for them as well. They trade Siakam, get a lot of draft capital in return. Getting three first-round picks for him is big, and I like that. Um, I like the addition of Bruce Brown as well. Obviously, like I mentioned, they may end up trading him somewhere. Um, I do like Kyra Lewis Jr. I, I love him. I loved him as a prospect coming out in the 2020 draft. Ha- his career hasn't really worked out so far, but he is a talented player, um, and we'll see um, how he develops in Toronto. We'll see if, if they can de- develop him a little bit. Jordan Wara is also a solid young player. We, we saw him play a little bit in Milwaukee. Uh He didn't ever have like a huge role there, but he's another talented young player. So I like the fact that the Raptors were able to get some talented young players and a lot of draft capital. And, and because of that, I think this is a really good trade for them as well as the Pacers. And then of course the Pelicans, they received just cash cash, considerations they didn't get much in this deal so not not much to say I don't have much to say about them and what this trade means for them but for the Pacers and the Raptors I like this trade a lot um, and I think this trade could work out really well for both teams. All right, those are my thoughts on the Pascal Siakam trade. I'm going to take a break. We'll talk when I come back. Uh, I'll talk about the whole whole controversy you know, controversy surrounding PF grades and J.J. Watt. Before I get into that, I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be right back. Okay, now let's get into this huge controversy that went down yesterday between JJ Watt and PFF. So I'm going to lay out everything. I kind of, I kind of laid out what happened a little bit in the intro, but I'm going to go through everything again to kind of paint a whole picture of what happened yesterday because a lot went down here. So earlier this week, PFF released a graphic of their, I think it was like their top five highest graded quarterbacks from the wildcard round. And if you don't know who PFF is, PFF is a company, and PFF stands for Pro Football Focus. They are a company that collects a ton of data by watching and tracking film. They watch every single play of every single game. They track a ton of data, like where players are lined up like, formations, stuff like that, and they also have grades, like, they grade every play for every player on, on a scale that I believe is, like, negative two to plus two, and I think it goes negative two, like, 1.5, 1.50, and then the other way, positive, you know, point, plus point plus point five. Plus one, plus one and a half, plus two. I believe that's how the scale works. But anyways, this weekend they released a graphic of the top five uh, graded quarterbacks that they had um, according to their grades for the wildcard round. Um, And it had Jordan Love at a 92.5, which is elite. That's a fantastic grade. And it had C.J. Stroud at a 77.8, which is good, that's a good grade, but there was a big difference there, and the reason why that was so controversial is because both of these players had eerily similar stats in, in, in their individual games. Um, against the Browns, C.J. Stroud completed 16 of 21 passes for 274 yards, 3 touchdowns, and 0 interceptions, and had a passer rating of 157.2 those numbers are great, and then, uh, Jordan Love completed 16 of 21 passes for 272 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, uh, and, and had a passer rating of 157.2, as you can see, those numbers are, like, freakishly similar, and both of them played against really good defenses, and some people were, were wondering, like, how did this happen? Like, what's up with that? And then JJ Watt went on the Pat McAfee show, um, and he was very critical of the Graves, um, partially, like, and they, they were talking about about the big difference here between uh, C.J. Stroud's grade and Jordan Love's grade, and he, he used to play for the Texans and um, I think still roots for them now, um, and, and he had a lot to say about them. He was very critical about PFF grading. Um, he said, I've literally sat in a meeting room with coaches and put the grades side by side, a coach's grade and a PFF grade, and they're not even close, and at one point, he even said that, um, I think I think his words were, PFF grades suck, like they're terrible, um, so he was very very critical of them and then a lot of people started talking about pff grades and how bad they are and how they didn't like them um and at one point jj watt even said that it's an algorithm um which is kind of true it's it's sort of true depending on what you mean by an algorithm um and so i wanted to talk about this controversy um and i really wanted to talk about pff some of the strengths and weaknesses of their grading system i wanted to talk about like all of the stuff they do, because grading is a very small part of what they do, and I wanted to talk about some of the misconceptions that people have of PFF. So first off, I gotta admit, I love PFF. I am a PFF fanboy, love their data, I have a PFF Elite subscription, I use their stats all the time, and I use their grades. Now, grading is such a small part of what they do. Their main thing is is Tracking data for where players line up, formations, like what percentage of the time that that teams run different formations, stuff like that. Like, that's the main thing that they do. And they are a, like, their business model is B2B, which stands for business to business. They exist largely to serve NFL teams. Grading is not the biggest thing they do. Now, grading, in my opinion, is more for the public. It's more of a media thing. Um, it's more to serve the fans. Um, and not a lot of teams use the PFF grades. I know, um, that the Vikings GM, he, he has actually said before that he does use the PFF grades. Um, and he said that he uses it probably, probably more than any other GM in the NFL. Uh, but l- most of the times teams, I don't think are using the PFF grades, Um, and and that makes sense, because there are weaknesses with the PFF grading system, but there are also strengths, and I'm going to defend the PFF grades, I think they're good, actually, like, I think, I think the fact that a company is taking the time to watch every single play of every single game and grading players on a play-by-play basis, that's good. That's great. And I think that gives us valuable insight because box score numbers do not tell us everything about, about players and the way they perform, especially within a single game. And that's PFF grades can, you know, highlight some, some plays where Players didn't do something well that doesn't show up in the box score. Like on Sunday or Saturday, um, C.J. Stroud had a turnover-worthy play. He had a bad throw into double coverage that ended up not being intercepted in the box score. That's not going to show up anywhere. But PFF tracks that. That will show up in their grades. That will show up when they have their turnover-worthy play stat. Um, and so PFF they know that that happened, and they and they they adjust for that. With their PFF grades, when they're grading. Um, and so I think stuff like that is why PFF grades are good and useful. However, and, and a lot of people brought this up um, yesterday on social media, PFF does not know players' assignments, at least to some degree. I think to some degree they can kind of guess, but they're largely just guessing with what players are supposed to do. They really don't know what each player's assignment is. They don't know how their coaches coach them to do certain things. So that is a huge piece of information that is not included in the grades. And that is something you have to consider when you look at PFF's grades. And that is one reason why I don't think they're perfect. And I, and I recognize that. Like that is a, <laughs> excuse me, that is a big flaw. And a lot of people brought that up. And I think that is a fair criticism. Now, I do think there are some unfair criticisms. I saw a lot of people say that, um, like I saw a tweet yesterday that was like, PFF grades are just made up by a bunch of nerds and it's just a formula. Um, and, and I think that is an unfair and a disingenuous critique of PFF and their grades. And I know that PFF is not very popular among NFL fans. Um, I'm, like, one of the rare people that likes PFF (laughs) and that actually, like, uses their grades. Um, But when people say that the PFF grading system or that PFF grades are just made up by, by these nerds who have never played football, that's not true. Like, it's not true at all. Let me get a drink real quick. And it's not true because PFF, over the years, has employed... Some very smart people who have extensive backgrounds with football, with the sport. Like, let's take Bobby Slowick, for example. He's the offensive coordinator for the Houston Texans. He's about to be a head coach, uh, probably, assuming he gets hired this offseason. He used to be an analyst at PFF, and now he is literally on an NFL coaching staff. Take Zach Robinson, for example. Zach Robinson is involved uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. He's on their coaching staff. He just recently got um, uh, someone requested to interview him for their offensive coordinator job. He used to play in the NFL. He used to be a quarterback. And then after his playing career was done, he joined PFF and he played a huge role in developing the PFF grading system, or maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but he helped them improve it, especially when it comes to grading quarterbacks and I think wide receivers, but he played a huge role in helping PFF improve upon their grading system and getting it to where it is today. And so when people say that the PFF grading system is made by nerds who don't know what they're talking about, that's not actually true. Um, and earlier, I mentioned that J.J. Watt said that the PFF grades are an algorithm. And that you, and he even said that like, you can't use algorithms to, to grade football players. He's half right, half wrong. The PFF grades are created by human beings who watch every single play. That's how they're made. And according to PFF, I'm going to take PFF at their word. They could be lying about this, or maybe how it works behind the scenes is not... Um, actually, you know w- w- what they say it is, but they claim that their system is very in depth. Uh, they have people watch the games um uh, from all different angles, all 22, the TV copy stuff like that. Um, and then they have the gra- the grades are checked multiple times. Uh, for most most of the plays, uh, they say they claim on their own website that most of the plays are watched multiple times by multiple different people and so it's not just like one person for effort is doing every single game um and like this person's biases are are impacting all the grades of course it's human beings making the grades like biases are going to impact the grades to some degree um, but it is a a pretty in-depth system and they ha- they have like a huge rule book for how they do the grades, they, 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 like everybody that does grades for them, they go through this whole training system or this training program, uh, to be able to do grades. Um, and so they take it very seriously. And like, it's not, it's not easy to come up with the PFF grades based on the information that, that they've released to the public. Um. So yeah, those are my thoughts on the PFF grading system. I think it's good. It's obviously got its flaws. Um, like for, for some positions, there are big issues with it, like for receivers and, and secondary players, they only grade plays where, where they are targeted, which is a huge problem. Like there, that's a lot of stuff that's missing there. Uh, there are also some potential problems with, uh, with using a single number grade to judge players now, obviously, like for certain positions, I guess like for all positions, they have different grades. They have the overall grade, um, and then they have grades for different like like skill sets. Like for quarterbacks, they have a total offensive grade, but they also have a passing grade and a in ru- a running grade, a rushing grade. Um, and for like edge rushers, they have a pass rush grade, and a run defense grade. So, it it isn't just one number. Um, When you do look at the offensive grade, that is one number, and just using that one single singular number to judge players is... There there could be some issues with that. Um, And I do want to say, don't use PFF grades as gospel. Um, Just because one player has a higher PFF grade this year than another doesn't mean that that one player with a higher PFF grade is performing better. There are other um, you know, factors that you have to take into consideration, like, you know, their role on the field, where they're lining up, the difficulty of their assignment, um, you also have to consider how often they're playing, now, I know that PF, people that, that work at PFF, like Steve, um, I'm his, his last name is, I'm blanking on his last name, but one of the guys that host, um, one of their biggest podcasts, he has claimed that they try to incorporate volume into the pff grades i don't know how that works um but they do try to incorporate uh volume into it so it's not just like a rate stat um like i said not sure how that works but that is something they do consider so if that's a criticism i do want to let you know that that they do try to incorporate volume there um they don't adjust the grades for um you know the strength of the opponent and I heard Steve talk recently. I need to look up his name. We're actually gonna do that, so I don't just call him Steve. Like y'all aren't gonna know who Steve is. Um, Steve Paz. So I I follow this guy. Why is it not coming up? What is this? Come on now. Let me now. I gotta look him up on Google. This is crazy. Pazolo. It's like. All right, Steve Palazzolo. That's who I'm talking about. Um, the other day on a podcast, Steve Palazzolo, um, what was what was he even talking about? I was talking about how they incorporate volume. Yeah, I was talking about adjusting for opponent strength. So the other day, Steve um, Palazzolo talked about, you know, how they don't adjust for the strength of the opponents when they grade players. Uh, but he also talked about how... Just because a team has performed well in the past doesn't mean they perform well in a specific game. Like on Saturday, the, the Browns defense was awful and they've been great all year. But in that game specifically, they were terrible. So does it really make sense to, you know, prop up CJ Shroud and give him credit for playing well against a good defense when that good defense plays poorly? And I think that's a fair point. I thought that was interesting and something um, that's worth considering. But also the fact that PFF grades are not adjusted for uh, the strength of competition is also um, a good critique. And I think that's fair. But yeah, did I want to mention anything else? There's nothing else on the top of my head that I really wanted to mention. Um, I I was replying to a lot of people on Twitter yesterday talking about PFF grades. and And I was defending them because I do like PFF and I like their grades, and I like their data, um, and I don't just use their grades, I use a lot of their other data that they have, and I think all their data is, is pretty good, and I appreciate the work that they put into it, um, but yeah, it was just really interesting that, to see some of the misconceptions that people have of PFF grades, and it was really funny to hear uh, players Chime in and talk about how bad they are, and, and a lot of the players that are critical of PFF uh, for their grades specifically are critical because their grades are not good. Like like Legarius Need um, is is not happy with them, and Justin Reed, um, like those guys, were not happy with the grades because they're not grading all that well. Um, and it's not like they're not grading well. Like they're great. Like like for luxurious need, he's a little bit lower than people think he should be. But his grade is in the 70s, which is good. Like a PFF grade of 60 is average. So he is above average. And when you adjust for how many snaps he's playing, he's actually grading pretty well among guys that are playing as many snaps as him. Um, and then if you adjust for like the, str- the difficulty of, of his assignment, his grade looks even better. So um, I don't think there's really that big of an issue there. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting, and I actually noted this on Twitter, this is like one of the last things I want to note before I move on and talk about the, uh, the divisional round games. Let me find this tweet that I put out. Um, so, let's see. Do I actually have this? I should have it somewhere. Um, I had a quote tweet about this. Um, maybe I deleted it? I really hope I didn't delete it. Okay, yeah, I said, um... Um, this is like one of my first tweets about this whole situation. I said, it's funny to hear people complain about PFF grading players without knowing the play calls or what players or coached to do. But then they give their opinion about PFF when it's clear they have no clue what PFF does or how their grading system works. And I think that is very true. And I think the irony of that um, is really, really fascinating and interesting. Like people Saying that PFF doesn't know what they're doing, and doesn't know what they're talking about, and they're missing information. However, a lot of people who are critical of PFF don't understand the system, how it works, how it's calculated. Um, and they're talking about something that they also don't know what they're talking about. Um, well, I thought that was fascinating. Another thing, I, another thing that I think is interesting is a lot of people that are critical of PFF grades are fans of players who are sometimes not viewed favorably by PFF. And I'm talking about y'all Pittsburgh. Yeah, everyone living in Pittsburgh crying about PFF grades. I see you. I see you, and I laugh at you because y'all cry on Twitter all day long about PFF grades. Um, I'm just kidding, Steelers fans. I'm just poking fun at y'all. Y'all love to complain, um, but I love y'all. Um, but yeah, like you, I saw a bunch of like people living in Houston, uh, these people were mad on on Twitter yesterday about PFF grades, so it's funny, like you see a lot of, a lot of people who are upset about PFFs grading, um, a lot of those people, uh, are fans uh, of teams, uh, who have like a star player who isn't being graded like they want, um, which is just really interesting to see, but. Yeah, those are really all of my thoughts about this whole situation, this whole controversy, debate, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and take a break real quick. When I come back, I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna do a little preview for the upcoming NFL playoff games. We got the divisional round coming up. Uh, I'm gonna take a quick break, and I will be right back. Okay, now let's talk about the upcoming NFL playoff games we have coming up this weekend. We got the divisional round, um, and there's four games. Before I get into these games, I realized that I never talked about a very big thing that happened recently on this podcast, Um, uh, and that's Nick Saban retiring. I never talked about that. Um, Forgot to mention that on the podcast. I know it happened last week, but yeah, big news. That's crazy. Like, I can't. The fact that we're not going to have Nick Saban involved in college football next year is crazy to me. I mean, he's been coaching the entire time that I've been a college football fan. So, to see him leave the game is crazy. And then Alabama, uh, after he after Saban retired, they hired um, uh, Washington's head coach. Let me look at uh, what his name is because I don't want to screw it up. Um, that would be bad. Kalen DeBoer. I'm almost calling him Jalen Demore, But yeah, they hired Washington's head coach, Kalen Demore to be their new head coach. Big news there. Don't want to get into all of that. Just wanted to mention that real quick. Now we can get into the, uh, the uh, divisional round games of the NFL playoffs that are coming up. First, we got Texans-Ravens. Ravens are favored by nine. Big spread there. Uh, but it makes sense. The Ravens are arguably the best team in the league this year. They're great. They've got the MVP, um, or the likely MVP at quarterback in Lamar Jackson. They've been really good this year. Their defense is fantastic. Their offense, not quite as good as their defense, still good. Um, And, of course, Lamar Jackson, when he's on, he's really good, and that offense is really good. Um, Texans, they've got a good young quarterback in C.J. Stroud, who's been playing really well this year and was awesome against the Browns. Um, I think the Ravens, if they perform like they should on defense, I think they will be able to limit the Texans offense to some degree, but you never know, the Texans offense is really good, their passing attack is really effective, they're great at throwing the ball down the field, Um, we'll see how their defense performs, the Texans, I mean. Um, and whether or not they're able to slow down Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' uh, offense. I don't think they will, and I think the Ravens' defense is going to be able to slow down the Texans' passing attack. Will the Ravens win by nine points? I'm not sure if they'll win by that much, Um, but I do think they win this game and they move on to the AFC Championship. Next, we have Packers 49ers. I am fascinated by this game, uh, mainly because we got... Uh, Another team that is arguably the best team in the league going up against a team whose offense is filled with a bunch of babies um, with the Packers. And and by babies, I mean just a lot of young and inexperienced players. The Packers offense has been great this year, despite the fact that their quarterback is in his first year as a starter. um, And they also have a bunch of young guys at receiver and tight end. Um, It's a fascinating group of offensive players and they are playing really well right now, um, and, and they are coming off an awesome performance last week um, in which they just dominated the Cowboys. Um, this is a different test, though. Um, the 49ers are really good. They are not known for collapsing in the playoffs like the Cowboys are. So this is going to be a tough task. The 49ers offense is amazing. Brock purdy has been good this year. Uh, they're super effective running the ball and throwing the ball. Their defense isn't quite as good as their offense. It's still good. It can be good. Um, and they got a lot of talented players on that side of the ball. Um, and I think they will be good enough to slow down the Packers offense a little bit but the Packers offense is great and I think they will be able to score some points in this game. Uh, we'll see how their defense performs. I could see this uh in the in the I could see this being a closer game than people expect. However, I do think the 49ers <laughs> excuse me. I do think the 49ers Wow, I am like dying here. What is happening? I do think the 49ers are gonna win this game. Um, but this is an interesting matchup. We got Matt LaFleur versus Kyle Shanahan. LaFleur comes from the Shanahan coaching tree. Um, so it's like you've got Master versus Padawan, uh, which is really interesting. We'll see how this game goes. I do think the 49ers win, but I also think this game could be closer than people might expect. All right, let's move on to the Sunday games. First off, we got Buccaneers, Lions, Lions are favored by six and a half. Buccaneers are coming off a a big win against the Eagles. Great performance by them. And the Lions are coming off their first playoff win in 32 years. They beat the Rams last week. Um, They were, they narrowly escaped. Barely won that game, but they did win at home. Now they're at home again. Um, I think this is a good matchup for the Lions. Their offense is really, really good. I don't think they're going to have any trouble moving the ball on the Buccaneers' defense. Um, I've loved the way that Jared Goff has played all year. Their run game's good. They can throw the ball. Ben Johnson, their offensive coordinator, he's been cooking this year. Like, he has been cooking. It's why he's being considered for all these head coaching gigs. Um, I think he's going to have another awesome uh, day, you know, in terms of play calling here. Um, It'll be interesting to see whether or not the Buccaneers' offense can take advantage of the Lions. Just kind of underwhelming defense. Baker Mayfield played well last week. We'll see if he can do that again against the Lions. Um, Will the Buccaneers upset the Lions on the road? I don't think so. I do think the Lions are going to win this game. Um, But I wouldn't be too surprised if this game was a little bit closer than people expect. Um, But I also wouldn't be surprised if the Lions dominated. They're a good team with a really good offense. Um, And the Buccaneers... Haven't been a great team all year long. They've been good at times, but they've also had times where they haven't looked that great. We'll see which Buccaneers team shows up today, and I think that will determine how close the score is. But I do think the Lions are going to win the game and move on to the NFC Championship. All right, now we've got game of the week Chiefs versus Bills. Bills are playing at home. They are hosting. This is. I saw this um, stat the other day. This is, I think, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes has played the Bills six times in his career and has never played in Buffalo. That's crazy. Uh, but the Bills are hosting this game. They've had a weird year. Both of these teams, honestly, have had like really weird seasons. The Bills have been up and down, but they are on a huge run. Um, At the moment, they've been playing really well the last couple of games. Their offense is elite. They've got one of the best players in the NFL, Josh Allen, who has been playing at MVP level this year. He's been great. Um, Their defense um, at times has played well. Their secondary is pretty good. Um, We'll see how the secondary performs in this game. They need their defense to come through, um, but I I am pretty confident that their offense. is going to show up and perform well. They've been playing really well recently, and Josh Allen, like I said earlier, he's been playing at an MVP level, and he has looked awesome the last couple of games. Um, For the Chiefs, we know who they are, like Patrick Mahomes is a great quarterback, uh, probably the best quarterback in the league right now, um, but their offense has kind of been up and down lately, their defense though has been great, their defense has been really good this year, that is the strength of the team, um, and I think their, their defense is going to have a tough task, slowing down Josh Allen, but um, their defense is really good. Um, and I think their defense matches up well with the Bills' offense. Um, we'll just have to see if the Chiefs' offense comes uh, shows up and comes to, uh, comes ready to play. If they do, I think the Chiefs can upset the Bills. Uh, but I just don't have a lot of faith in the Chiefs' uh, pass catchers in the receiving core. Um, I think Andy Reid's going to have to have a really good day in terms of his play calling. Patrick Mahomes is going to have to have a big day, and the Chiefs defense is going to have to perform well. Um, The Bills, on the other hand, I think their offense is going to be really good. We'll see if the Chiefs defense can slow them down. Um, I'm not sure if they will. I think the Chiefs, to win this game, will have to force a turnover or two. Um, I think that's what they need to win this game. Um, but I do like the Bills in this matchup. I think they're a good team. They're one of the best teams in the league. I think they are the better team here. They're playing at home. I love their offense. When their offense is clicking, it is fantastic, and I think the offense is going to be clicking in this game. Give me Bills in this matchup. Um, I think the Bills are moving on to the, uh, to the AFC Championship to play the Ravens. And then uh, with the other games, I think the 49ers and the Lions... Are gonna win, and I think they are going to face off in the NFC Championship. Well, those are my thoughts on the upcoming NFL playoff games uh, for the divisional round. Um, let me know what you think on social media. Hit me up on Twitter at the Ryan McCreary. That's the R Y A N i uh, I'm on Twitter fairly often, so you'll be able to reach me there. Uh, I hope y'all enjoyed this episode of the podcast. This is it for today's episode. It was a fun episode. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed it. I know I did. And I will see y'all next time. Peace.